0: Hello and welcome to Scaling Enterprise Agility, a podcast brought to you by Accenture and Atlassian that's all about how businesses can be more adaptive and responsive to the ever-increasing rate of change around us. Uh, I'm Nick Pulse, your host and business agility practice lead at Accenture, and we're recording from the Agile Australia Conference in Sydney. It gives me great pleasure to host our next guest, John Smart, from Sooner, Safer, Happier. Welcome, John. It's so nice to chat with you today. How are you and how are you enjoying the conference? Thank you, Nick. Thanks for inviting me. I'm good, thank you. And I'm loving the conference.
1: Excellent. Lots of passionate, passionate people at large companies. They want to improve
0: how they do what they do. First time at Agile Australia?
1: Yes, first time at Agile Australia.
0: Excellent. I know you've been to Australia before. How are you finding this time around? Yeah, great. Yeah, 27 years later, I'm back. That's a long time between yeah. trips. Can we start off by you just kind of sharing a little bit about your story, but? Personally, professionally, <laughs> so
1: been an agile and practitioner for nearly 30 years. Started out in investment banking on the trading floor. We were naturally agile. The word agile wasn't being used. We were a small, multidisciplinary team. We were delivering value multiple times a day. Business plus tech. So for me, this is like a no-brainer. This is back to the future. This is how we should be working. Yeah. And then during the course of my career, I've taken teams on the journey from traditional ways of working to more modern ways of working at increasing scale that uh, led up to me leading ways of working across Barclays Bank, across 80,000 people in 40 countries, 300 years old. The elevator pitch is we have 20 times better quality, we have three times more value more quickly,
0: and we have the happiest ever colleagues. It's pretty impressive. Did you know, uh, I'm really interested, your first piece of work was at, about as agile as you can get. Did you know at the time how good it was or only, you know, As you're moving through your career, reflecting back and saying, we had it all kind of back in the day. Yeah, the latter.
1: So only in hindsight did I realize what a high-performing team we were. Because obviously, I just left university. I just joined as a graduate. I was really fortunate that that was my first job. Yeah. And also, from in terms of my generation, I grew up with home computing, the beginning of home computing. Okay. ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, BBC Model B. And I, since the age of twelve, I've been programming at home because you could and it was easy. And so even then I've been exhibiting agility, not in a multidisciplinary team, but you know, quick feedback loops and everything else. So it was it. again, it was a no-brainer. Part in your DNA. Yeah. It was a no-brainer then in that way of working. And then I did experience the dark side of waterfall as I then inherited teams with traditional ways of working or the control environments in the company and dated multiple ways of working, and saw needless work waiting, competing between role-based silos, a lack of end-to-end flow value, yeah. really unhappy colleagues.
0: Do you remember how that felt the first time you went from this high-performing team into a more traditional like, environment? How did that Yeah, you know, It would so, have felt very unnatural for you.
1: Yeah, and, I, and it wasn't the case that I would slot into it and work that way. I'd be a rebel and be the one to get out of that way of working. And there was one team I inherited where I spoke to the team. They were extremely thoughtful ways of working. And I said to the team, because it was really peace to family, yes. why are you still at this company? Why haven't you left? And they said, we're united for a common suffering.
0: That was their purpose. That was why they were still at that company. They had a form of organizational Stockholm syndrome. Wow. it's incredible. <laughs> So, moving on from your experience, you've got obviously a lot of experience across a whole range of different industries. For those that are listening that are unaware, you've created what I call a movement, for lack of a better word, around super, sooner, safer, happier. Can you maybe just explain what yeah. that is or the intent yeah. behind that? Yes.
1: So, in a nutshell, focus on the outcomes, focus on the goal you're going after, not the means to the end. So, my learning was, I was ahead of the Agile transformation. We were running an Agile transformation. We were measuring how many Agile teams do we have? How many borotoners, scrum masters, stand ups? Who's using JIRA? Which are all the wrong things to measure. How many people have we trained in Agile? That was stupid. It was dumb. I wish I hadn't done it. But this is all about intelligent failure and learning. But we made a mistake because Agile is not a goal. Agile is a means to an end. So, what's the end? What's the why? Yes. What's the outcomes? And so in my experience, when I was leading Ways of Working as a permanent member of staff previously, we it to better value, sooner, safer, happier, because that, that's the goal. Quality, value, time to value, safety, and happiness. And then it's a bit of agile, a bit of lean, in some cases, smaller water forms, because of historical baggage. It's whatever you need to do to deliver value sooner, safer, and happier, with high policy. So that was the big pivot in year two. We made that the headline. We took down the posters that had the A word on it. Yes. We took down the agile posters. We put up posters and said, better value, sooner, safer, happier. And with data, we measured it, and we made the data transparent. And you have to do that, otherwise it's merely subjected.
0: Yeah, and I love that data thread. I'm very much data-led in everything that, that I do uh, as well. But it's very hard for these large organisations to start to measure things. What's your recommendation for executives and leaders around measurement, and what are one or two measures they can start the journey? Yeah.
1: So when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago or today so just start the longer you take to figure out what you want to measure and the longer you spend kind of planning it the longer it's going to take me to actually have anything that's measurable so think big, start small learn fast just start with whatever you can get hold of i would strongly recommend measuring quality time to value safety and happiness quality the measures for quality can be whatever applies in your context if it's it P1, P2, P3, SEP1, SEP2, SEP3 outages, it's a good indication of quality. Should argue they should be tracking anyway. we will be tracked anyway, guarantee it. Time to value, I recommend measuring lead time through and flow efficiency. Yep. Lead time is the, is the point of taking something out of the backlog to getting it in the hands of a customer because the backlog is just a Dear Santa wish list. Doesn't matter how long it's in there But Flow efficiency, the amount of time it's being worked on versus the lead time, which is another very, very important metric. Yes. And then safer is compliance, InfoSec data privacy, fraud, anti money laundering. So again, you're looking at where your mandatory controls have not been implemented. You should have implemented two factor authentication and you haven't. We should have encrypted the data and you haven't. So that's breaches in the control environment. There's a measure there. And then happier is happier customers, colleagues, citizens, and Climate. HR will already have a measure for engagement. Yes. It will already be there, and there will already be measures for net promoter score from customers. So happier is really important. Happier is the one that's normally missing. The others are normally being measured. That's what I would recommend: measuring better, sooner, safer, happier. And then value is unique. It's the how, it's the what, rather. But the other ones are the how. That's the what, and that's OKRs, objectives and key results, PMO to measure the value.
0: Great insights for the for the audience there. Thank you, John. Um, In your movement, you talk about seven acts of agility. Do you touch on those and maybe which ones are like the top three or something to to tackle? Yeah. Number
1: one, focus on the outcomes, not on the means to the end. So better value, sooner, safer, happier, not agile for agile sake, or lead for lean sake. Number two, I would say is leadership behavior will make it or break it. Leadership behavior, and this is, by the way, this is not pointing up at them as leaders absolving yourself of any responsibility this is everybody as a leader. This is you as a leader. Even when you're still at school, Greta Thunberg, Greta is an amazing leader when she was still at school. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. this is you as a leader leadership behavior, Law modern psychological safety, and an emergent mindset. Three key behaviors. And then another one I would say is invite over inflict. Invite participation. Start with the champions. Don't inflict taint on people because there won't be intrinsic motivation. There's extrinsic motivation and there will be sabotage, silent or otherwise. So
0: invite participation would be the third one. Yeah, fantastic. And then your talk today I very much enjoyed, so thank you for sharing. Uh, you touched on the anti-patterns and patterns for, for business agility. Can you touch on those for the audience that you know listening on this podcast? Uh, what are some of the common anti-patterns? that you see through your interactions with these organisations and working with yeah. organisations. So, so some of the common anti-patterns will be
1: the opposite of what I just said. So some of the anti-patterns would be we're doing an agile transformation, capital A, capital T, and we're going to flick ways of working upon you and it's a programme with a due date. Um, at this point, we will be magically transformed into a butterfly, an agile butterfly. Um, another common anti-pattern is rolling out squad tribes, champions and guilds, top down in flicks. 4th of September, you're in wave number 8 of 10. You're the next 10,000 people to move into tribes. And we have senior leaders competing to be tribal leaders because it means power and money and influence, even though they don't know what it means to be a tribal leader. We have language like tribes, which I'm not sure I really like that language, no, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Tribal behavior. It's like a, an org design you can give for a problem. And you can pivot into a new org design, but then typically the anti-pattern is there is no measurement of the outcomes. And there is no measurement of actually why are we doing this thing? And often the justification for doing it is a cost outplay of we're going to let ten to 20,000 people go. And then everyone else we're going to pivot into squad stripes, chapters, and guilds. And almost, I think, with a narrative org, we'll still be able to deliver just as much value in this new structure as we did before, even though we've let 10,000 people go. Which
0: is not the case because same old behavior, new neighbors, same outcomes. How do you navigate that conversation? Because that's one that comes up time and time again. We're going on an agile transformation. Have uh, this masquerading as cost-out exercise yeah. so yeah. what are the conversations you have with executives when you hear you yeah. uh, know the b yeah. behind the change program so it, it depends where people are at on the journey and it depends how
1: much their personal reputation is already embedded within the thing yeah. that's happening because our brains being survival machines someone's reputation is hooked up in this thing and it's already underway and halfway through very few people will say you know what i was wrong uh, Let's stop halfway through and do something different. So I think it's about then a recognition. What I observe is there is a dawning recognition with empathy and kindness is people are trying to do the right thing. There's just so many unknown unknowns. So in one scenario is this dawning realization. Once we're in the model, in floats, and we've done this big bang or series of small bangs, medium bangs, there's this dawning realization that it's just day zero. We thought that was done but actually you know what we just realized over the next five years is the beginning just getting started We're just yeah. getting started so i see this aha mo- aha moment happen um and also in my interactions with senior leadership teams and with expos is i'm going in my narrative of this is all about the most value in the shortest time with these leadership behaviours and continuous improvement. It's a journey so, that never ends for them. Exactly. It's a journey that never ends. And dear leaders, you need to focus on the most value in the shortest time with experimentation of psychological safety and incentivising colleagues to continuously improve and not just do the doing all day long. So once you've got that, once you've got a clear why, clear outcomes, which are measurable, and you've got incentive from senior leaders to continuously improve, you're good. You will be successful. Yeah. If you've got clear why, clear measures, feedback, the data is transparent, you've got incentive to change, you will
0: improve provided there's a sufficient incentive. Yeah, it's fantastic. And obviously you worked inside Barclays Bank as the head of agile transformation and now part of a, your own niche consultancy. What difference are you finding you're being embedded in an organization versus yeah. advising? So most of my career, I've been working inside
1: large companies 30 years. The last four years, I've been advising organizations and sharing the mistakes that I've made so that organizations don't need to make the same mistakes. What I have learned is that it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's just organized human endeavor. Same patterns and anti-bans apply, whether it's public, private, non-profit, charity, religion, military, it's organized human endeavor. People trying to do stuff. So the learnings are identical. Did you find it harder being embedded in one or the other, like being embedded? Uh, I find it, find it harder, honest answer, uh, see all my the, all the answers are honest, is, truth speaking from the heart, much harder in the company. Because there is this human nature of you'll have someone in the company say something and have someone external say exactly the same thing. There's a human nature; people will attach more credibility to what the external person said. So I know that, which means now I'm external to companies. I can help amplify the good messages that are already in the company by saying the same thing as what people internally are saying. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, these gems of wisdom. Well, by the way, your colleagues have been saying the same thing from last year. You're just not listening to them. But it, yeah. it, you're not listening to them. So there is a human psychology thing at play there. It also helps, um, in terms of human psychology. Having written a book and shared the learnings and just having your name as an author on the book, there is a human psychology thing there as well, which is, oh my goodness, this person has written, you know, just like any other author, there is additional credibility that comes with that, even though you're the same person and you knew just as much as you did before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. <laughs> I've got a couple more questions before we wrap up. Uh, you've gone this great journey with Barclays Bank over a number of years. But I think you said about four years. Do you know where Barclays Bank is now with their continuous change journey? Great
1: question, Professor John Potter's eight steps to change. Step number eight: institutionalise the change. Uh, one of the things that we did while I was there is we rewrote the control environment, so the control objectives and the controls, or the, at least the controls that implement the control objectives. So that's like chiselling into stone new policies and standards in a re- in a highly regulated, control conscious organisation. Nobody in their right mind is going to go back and rewrite those controls to mandate a waterfall way of working, which is how they were at the beginning of the journey. Yes. So that's a parting gift. And uh, when I moved on, one of the reasons is we got to 100% of all change covered through the new change environment, the oh. new change controls. It doesn't mandate agility. It doesn't mandate agile, but it doesn't prevent agile. You can have speed and control. So once we got to 100% of all change in a new control environment, I felt my work was done. up oh, Yeah. Time to move on to the next challenge. And so I know that that has stayed there. And then like every organization, as senior leaders change, there are some senior leaders who will stretch the elastic bands and will be more supportive of improving ways of working. And there are other senior leaders who have a different lens on the world. Some senior leaders might be a bit more deterministic and a bit more used to rack statuses. And some leaders have more psychological safety and some leaders have less psychological safety. So every single organization and I've been hearing it multiple times just today, you can see over a 10 year time period, you can see periods of getting better, change in senior leaders, like a dip in the curve of better ways of working and incentivizing back to incentive and neuroscience. There's less incentive to change and just now just to do the doing, and then another change in leaders and you'll see the curve go up again. So there's multiple organizations, even just here in Australia, who are on their second, third, or fourth Correct. ways of working yep. journey. Uh, and I think that will continue to be the case. It's like two steps forwards, 1.9 steps back.
0: Yeah. Two it's steps You cycle through these organizations. Yeah. yeah. bring every, their own. Every time support. getting slightly further forward. Yeah. All right. Last question. What's your parting gift for the executives, leaders, listening to this podcast? What are the kind of three tips of wisdom you'd like to leave them with?
1: Yeah. Number one, the word incentive. Maximise incentive and minimise threat It's two sides of the same coin. Neuroscience, our brains are survival machines and our brains haven't changed in 15,000 years. We have loss aversion. We are more likely to do nothing than do something if there's a fear of loss, Because if we hear a rustle in the bush, we will expend 200 calories by running away. If we don't run away and there's a tiger in the bush and the tiger eats us, we will lose 20,000 calories. Which is how many calories the tiger gets when it eats us. So we're incentivized to run away a thousand times. Yes. Which means basically not changing. You know, that means running away from change if it might be a threat to us. So you have to dial neuroscience. You have to dial the dial up to 11 out of 10 on incentive to intelligently fail in order to learn, which means psychological safety. So when I say the incentive, I also mean psychological safety. In mo- most people, every single company I talk to, people are too busy doing the doing. The work in progress is too high. Nobody has time to talk about the round wheels because they're too busy pulling the cart with square wings. So incentive to continuously improve and psychological safety, number one and number two. Number three, an emergent mindset, which means acknowledging that the future is not knowable. Focus on the outcomes, focus on the hypothesis and focus on the scientific thinking which is we have some experiments to run to test the hypothesis of whether this is the best way to achieve this outcome or whether this is the best outcome, which means learning through failing. Normalizing, learning, which I got from Optus, learning through failure, which is an emergent mindset of we're going to run experiments and we're going to have an outcome focus. Those three things are the most impactful.
0: Awesome. John, thank you so much for your time.
1: Pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Scaling Enterprise Agility, a podcast from Atlassian and Accenture. You can learn more about Agile Australia, where this conversation was recorded, as well as the work Atlassian and Accenture are doing together by using the links in our show notes. We'll be back with more conversations soon. Follow us now in your podcast app, and you won't miss
0: an episode.